right, Lord, well, you're going to have to help. And so I furiously began to write down some verses. And then when Sister Buford and the praise team began to lead and sing, uh, it just kind of all fell into place. See, here at the Lighthouse, I don't micromanage. I don't tell the praise team what to sing. I don't tell our, 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 our preachers and, and ministers in our church that fill this pulpit, I don't tell them what to preach. Usually, I guess every once in a while I have, maybe if we have a theme, but I don't tell them what to preach. I don't tell our Sunday school teachers what to teach. I believe that each and every one of us have a role and a place in this, in this uh, 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 church. And, and so I like it when God just orchestrates it and it all flows together. If you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn with me to the, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, and I'm going to lead off with this verse, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it a little bit perhaps different direction than what is normally used, but it, it just, it uses a phrase that I think is so important, and I want to to just drill this phrase into your head. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Before that, it's Paul reminding them that they don't need to be as the, as the children of Israel were, grumbling and complaining and testing God, and, and you can read some of that. But in verse 11, if I could start there, maybe back up for a moment. Sorry to mess you up. Now, these things happen to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Just a, an understanding that, that, that the children of Israel, they had everything humanly possible to make it right, but they fell. There's other great men and women of God that fell. And so don't get all hopped up and proud that you had a good church service and you're going to be okay. You need to take heed lest you fall. And then verse uh, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now I first, before I, I take off in the direction that God has led, I, I first have to preach or at least make sure you understand this verse in the fullness. We, 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 we can't take a verse out of context. It's very bad hermeneutics and it's, it's really almost a sin to just grab something and, and, and make it preach and not, not hit the intended destination. Here's the intended destination. Any temptation that you have gone through in your life is not something new and big and crazy. And so when you fall and when you sin, you can say, man, that laid me low. No one's ever gone through what I've gone through. The temptations that the enemy throws our way are temptations that are common to all men. In fact, the Bible says that, that the Lord, Jesus, our high priest, the one who, the God who robed himself, became flesh, became like you and I. He was born at Bethlehem. He lived for 33 and a half years before they crucified him. But that God who became man went through every temptation that you've ever been tempted by. But he didn't sin. He was showing you that, that, that his spirit allows us to live in such a way that we can become, we, we can be one that lives above that temptation. And so it is that you can't say, well, my temptation is special and thus you get some sort of a, of a pass because your temptation was, was so bad that no one else has ever, ever gone through it. But I would like to not take this out of context, I pray, but 
like to tell you that the truth is each and every one of us fail. We get that temptation and we know we should be able to withstand it because the Lord says he's given us strength to withstand it and we fall. But the Lord has made a way of escape. Now, the great thing and the good thing and the right thing should be this, that you should have escaped from the temptation in the first place. I'll get on Joseph here in a moment, but it's, it's Joseph of when Potiphar basically, Potiphar's wife basically offered to Joseph there in Egypt, just said, you can have me, do whatever you want to me, I'm yours. And Joseph escaped that temptation and ran away. The truth is Jesus wants you to escape the temptation before you ever sin. But I've lived life long enough and I've walked through the Bible to know that even when we fail, God still has a way of escape. And I want somebody to listen to me right now that no matter where you're at, no matter what pit and hole and miry uh, clay you found yourself in, and here's the thing, I I want you to look at yourself and I want you to say it's my fault. Most of the things we get ourselves into, it's our fault. Don't blame your your, your wife. Don't blame your your brother. Don't blame your sister. In fact, don't even blame the devil. I've told this story before. I got got caught in a a sin, and and I was a teenager. My mom caught me, and and she said, what are you doing? And I promise you, and I was kind of serious. I said, the devil made me do it. I'd like to tell you right now, while the devil has a great way of tempting and pushing and, 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 and cajoling you, the devil can't make you do anything that you and your own flesh don't want to do. And so when we find ourselves in the pig pen of sin like the prodigal, you only have yourself to blame. But I want to tell you that even when you're in sin, when you're dead in your sin and trespasses, even when the situation is dire, God still has a way of escape. God doesn't put you in those situations. Listen to me very carefully. God doesn't say, you know what, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put them in, in, in a prison. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make them sin so that they can find redemption. That's not how God works. God's not a puppet master that, that controls your life. But what God does is he says, I'll make all things work for the good. Not that he says, I'm going to give you the circumstance. But in the midst of your circumstance, God's going to make a way of escape for you. So if you have your Bibles, and, and if you'd like to, to follow along with me, I already apologized to Brother Andy because I gave him a nice manuscript that he could follow, and then right before church I said, I'm going a different direction, so here you go. Uh, Genesis chapter 15, I want to just read something to you, and then we're going to go from there. God makes a covenant with Abraham that you begin to see in Genesis chapter 15, and I want to focus on uh, Genesis chapter 12, or 15 verse 12. 15 verse 12. Abraham had laid a sacrifice out. He was waiting to see what God is going to do. And, and he had kept animals and birds of prey from coming and eating the sacrifice. And, and, and he had toiled and finally it gets dark. And Abraham, as the sun was going down, verse 12, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. And as for you, you'll go back to your fathers in peace and you'll be buried in a good and old age. 
I find it very interesting because most of us know a, a working history of at least the major points of the Bible. We know that Abraham, out of his lineage comes the children of Israel. You, you've got Isaac, you've got Jacob, you've got the 12 sons of Jacob. You know that, that Joseph is sold into slavery. You know that Joseph goes down to Egypt and then all of the things that take place and, and, and finally Jacob and his sons and their families, they come to Egypt and they live in Egypt and then you have that little phrase in the Bible that says Joseph died and there arose an, a, a Pharaoh who, who did not remember all the works that Joseph did. Joseph, with the Lord's help, single-handedly saved Egypt from destruction. They were going to have seven years where, where their crops were going to be bumper crops. And then they were going to have seven years of abject famine. And because of God's wisdom that imparted into Joseph, Joseph was able to save the food for seven years so that they could live in those seven lean years. And then, of course, you know that for, for over 400 years they lived in bondage. Egypt uh, uh, controlled Israel until there was a little boy named Moses born. And then Mo Moses had to go out in the wilderness until he found a burning bush where God called him back to Egypt and said, I'm going to let you be the deliverer. And Moses goes to Pharaoh, says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, ten plagues trans, you know, trans, uh, that, 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 that pass and and, and then they let the people go and they go out and Moses leads them into the wilderness and they go to Mount Sinai and there God gives them the Ten Commandments along with other uh, uh, laws and commandments and it's supposed to be a good time and, and then they, they finally come, Moses dies, Joshua leads them into the promised land and there they fight Jericho, they defeat Jericho, they retain, they get the promise that God had promised Abraham so, so many generations ago. And then the book of Judges rolls around. I'm giving you a real, I mean, uh, understand, man, the, the, I, I could preach a message on each and every one of these spots. But the book of Judges rolls around and it starts this way. And there arose a generation that knew not the works of God nor the things that God had done for their fathers. And the book of Judges starts, well, actually don't start. It started back in the wilderness and before. But Judges is a, sometimes a good up, but most of the time it's just a fall into idolatry, it's a fall into things that are wrong. And, and, and so then, then uh, they, they, they want a king and Saul becomes king and it seems like it's going to work and then Saul messes up. David's anointed. And David, uh, for the most part, lives for God, but he's got some sordid pasts in there. Solomon rolls around the smartest man in the Bible and Solomon looked like it was going to finally peak out and then Solomon got connected to way too many wives of of, of, of countries that didn't serve the Lord and Solomon's fall was greater than his rise. And then you would just begin to see king after king after king after king of, of Israel and, and Judah and they're, they're just constantly sinning until God brings them into captivity. And then by the end of the Old Testament, God has released them from captivity but they still don't have a, a hunger. They, they, they can't find their presence back in the things of God. And I find all of that very interesting that we know the, 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 the working history of God's word. But all the way back with Abraham, God said, I know the path they're going to take. I know they're going to sin. I know that, that they're going to be in captivity in Egypt. And, and I, I would even take you uh, a, a little bit. Let me, let me take you to the book of Deuteronomy. Turn to the very, I think it's the second to last chapter of Deuteronomy, but I'll find it here in a moment. 
Uh, turn to Deuteronomy, let's see, chapter, how about chapter 31? Chapter 31, around verse 19. I'm getting somewhere here in a moment. Just let me set the stage. Deuteronomy 31 and, and chapter 19. This is after everything that God has done for the children of Israel. He's given them so many blessings and, and he, he, he's taught them and given them the word of God. And then Moses ends his life basically starting this way. God says, I want you to teach a song to the children of Israel. I want you to teach them a song that they would, they would learn. Put it in their mouths. Let it be a witness. For when I have brought them into a land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers. That goes all the way back to Abraham. And when they have eaten and are full and they've grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them. They will despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. And I know what they are inclined to do even today before I brought them into the land I swore unto them. God knows the path we're going to take. Now, you, you may look and say, well, Pastor, isn't that a bit of a Calvinistic doctrine? The Calvinistic doctrine of, uh, of predestination says that God sits up there and it's kind of like a lottery. He decides who's going to go to heaven and he decides who's not. And so, if you will, by the moment that you're born, you're predestined to go to heaven or you're predestined to go to hell. And it seems to take out the, the, the ability of your own life to, to, to blaze your own path or to change it. And I want to tell you that's not at all what this is saying. It's saying that God knows our end from our beginning. God knows the path that we're inclined to take. But what I want to tell you is that even though God knows your proclivity to sin, your inclination to sin, and God knows that chances are you're going to, you know, you're not going to listen to the word of God. By the way, I, I wish I could preach. I've been working on it. But I'm, I'm blown away at how important the word of God is. You've heard that all this year. It's been my, my, my go-to sermon this year, how important the Word of God is. I read in the, in the end of Deuteronomy, it says that every seven years, the children of Israel were supposed to come and they were supposed to read the entirety of the law in their listening. I also read in Deuteronomy that it said every time that you anoint a king, that king is supposed to write the law by his own hand so he won't forget it. They didn't do it. They never did it. That's why they kept falling. I'm going to tell you why Israel fell. It's because they didn't keep the word of God's sinner in their heart. But God knew that they were inclined to fall. This is how it differs from predestination. Remember that man named Jonah? You know that prophet that God said, Jonah, I want you to go to the people of Nineveh and I want you to, I want you to preach to them because they're an evil group of people, but I want you to preach to them. I want you to give them a chance to repent. Jonah says, God, if I do that, the word of God is so powerful that these evil people are going to listen to the word of God. They're going to be pricked in their hearts and, and, and they're going to repent and you're not going to blow them off the face of the planet. And so I don't, really want you to do that I would prefer them just to die so I'm not going to give them a chance and what did Jonah do Jonah said I'm going to go as far away from Nineveh as I can he gets on a boat but God knew that he was going to do that 
And so God prepared a storm. They get on that boat and the storm begins to rock. Jonah's down there sleeping. And, and, and they, I mean, they're, they're throwing luggage overboard. They're throwing tackle of the ship overboard. They're trying to help the, 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 the rigging and all of the sails and the boat is sinking. They've prayed to every God they can think of. They've done every every curse and inclination or, or, or incantation that they can think of and nothing is changing. And so finally they tap Jonah on the, and they say, wake up. Jonah comes up and they says, look, you're the only dude we haven't talked to. Do you have any other God that you serve different from the ones we're serving? Would you please pray to him? Maybe he'll listen. God knew that Jonah was going to sin. But here's where it differs. In the middle of all of those sinning and in the path that Jonah was going to take, God prepared a way of escape for him. Because Jonah could have said, nope. Uh-uh. I don't have no God. I don't like the God I, I, I even, I used to serve him, but I'm backslidden. I don't like the God I serve. Jonah could have folded his hands and turned over in that bunk and went right back to sleep. And I am 100% convinced that if Jonah would have made that decision, that whole ship would have sunk and all of them would have been lost. But in the midst of a dangerous road that he was traveling, a road that God knew he was going to take, Jonah made a decision. There was a, 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 a form of repentance. He said, no, nah, it's my fault. All of this storm is because I'm taking a wrong trip. In fact, I don't even deserve to live. Why don't you just throw me overboard? Because God's punishing me. But in doing so, you're being affected. So throw me overboard and let God deal with me the way God wants to deal with me. Now they, they, they said, no, we don't want to do that. We'll, we'll be held accountable. And Jonah said, no, the ship is sinking. They finally picked Jonah up and they threw him overboard. And immediately... The waves ceased. But Jonah could have made a choice right there. And he could have died in his sin. But God was making a way of escape. The Bible says, and it's one of the most fascinating phrases in all of Scripture, that the Lord prepared a fish for Jonah. Now, this is Brandon Buford's imagination that runs wild. But I'm convinced that somewhere God tapped a whale on the shoulder, if whales have shoulders, and said, um, I know you have a normal migration pattern, but I need you to go to this harbor. I need you to hang out because there's going to be a ship that's going to be sailing. And I need you to follow that ship because somewhere, I can't exactly tell you where, somewhere there's going to be a dude fly overboard. And you got to be there because, see, if you're, if you're five, five miles away and I try to call you, by the time you get there, that, that man's going to drown in that ocean. So you got to shadow that boat. I'm preparing a fish. And that whale began to swim. It was a shadow right behind that boat, just ready for the time that Jonah was thrown overboard because in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your situation, God is preparing a way of escape. They throw Jonah overboard. Jonah doesn't have to tread water very long. And that old whale comes up and puts him down. You say, well, yeah, I mean, isn't that the Lord, you know, that going back to that Calvinistic doctrine, God, he, he predestines? No. Because in the middle of that whale's belly for three days and three nights, Jonah's sitting. Seaweed wrapped around his head and the smell of whatever whales eat and however it smells down there. 
But Jonah had a choice. I hope you're catching the fact that God has a way of escape, but you have to make the right choice. Because in the midst of that whale's belly, Jonah could have said, you know what, this is stupid. Why did you just kill me in the water? Now you got to let me suffer through all this nastiness of a whale's belly. I'd like to just die, God. And he could have turned over and he could have never repented and he could have never made things right with God and he would have never left. Well, he'd have left that whale, but I'm not going to tell you how. But uh, he'd have died in that whale's belly. But he made a choice because God had a way of escape. It wasn't the way of escape I think Jonah would have liked. I think Jonah maybe would have liked God to just pick him up off that boat and carry him so nice and neatly to, to Nineveh's gate. But no, God made a way. And Jonah knelt down in the nastiness of that belly and said, God, I've sinned. I know what you told me to do, and, and, and I didn't do it, and I don't deserve to go back. But God, if you'll give me a second chance, I'll go back and I'll preach. And that whale found the shores there closest to Nineveh and vomited that old man up because God has a way of escape even when we're in our, the mess that we ourselves got into. He prepared a fish. When God told Abraham, you're going to go to to, to Egypt and you're going to live there, I want to tell you it all starts with a sin. First off, Abraham went to Egypt when God told him not to go to Egypt. I don't have time to flesh that story out, but read the Bible. When there came a famine in the land that God had promised Abraham, instead of Abraham trusting in God, Abraham goes to Egypt. He lies about his wife. There's a whole lot of bad things happen. And, and And it goes on. Abraham has a son. Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Then there's that one named Joseph. Remember Joseph? Joseph begins to have dreams from the Lord and he tells his brother the dreams and and it is sin. The brothers hated Joseph. That's a type of sin and they despised Joseph. They threw him down in a pit. Some of the brothers wanted to kill him. But finally, the oldest brother said, we can't kill him. Why don't we sell him to these slave traders that are coming down from Midian? And so they sold the Joseph to slavery, and, and that's a sin. God, God gave, I mean, everything was going wrong. But God prepared a way of escape. Sold him there to, to Egypt. And, and now we like the story. Man, Joseph, he becomes second in command. He's running. I mean, he's running the show. It's awesome. But can I remind you, there were choices Joseph had to make in order to find that way of escape that God had prepared. Joseph could have first off just got bitter in captivity. Joseph could have committed suicide. Joseph could have gotten aggravated. Joseph could have never turned to the Lord. But in all of that in Joseph's life, you find that in every uh, uh, place that God put him, he trusted the Lord. I made mention of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. I could tell you that Joseph could have given in to that temptation. Joseph could have said, I don't deserve all of this junk that's happened. Maybe I'll have one night of pleasure. Maybe I can just get that out of it. Potiphar should have never had me as a slave anyway. I'll get what's coming to me. Joseph could have laid with Potiphar's wife and he'd have messed up the way of escape that God had prepared. But in everything, Joseph was finding the way and finally he's the second in command. But even when he arrived to that place, when his brothers came, Joseph could have never given them mercy. He could have not uh, forgave them. He could have uh, uh, let vengeance and all of that reign. But instead, he, he loved them and God gave them a way of escape. 
I could take you to Moses' life there in Egypt. They've been in, 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 in uh, captivity for some 430 years. I could take you through that. Moses, he, 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 was, you know, he was born in a bad time. They were killing all of the male uh, Israel, Israelite children. Moses' mother put him in a little basket of bulrushes that was tarred and put it in the Nile River and let it float down until Pharaoh's daughter found him. Raised by Pharaoh's daughter. Raised in Pharaoh's house. But God was preparing a way of escape. But even then, Moses had a choice. I think it's the book of Hebrews. I may be wrong and I apologize if I am, but I think it's the book of Hebrews. It says something along the lines of Moses did not desire the things and the privileges of Pharaoh's house. Instead, he wanted the things of God. But can you think about Moses? He knew who he was. He knew he was an Israelite. But can you imagine him going, those poor dudes over there. I'm going to just enjoy all of this and maybe I'll even become Pharaoh. But no, he had a hunger for the things of God and he made some choices because God was preparing a way of escape. When he killed the Egyptian that was beaten up on the Israelite and he had to go run away in the wilderness, he could have gotten bitter in the wilderness. He met his, his wife there, Zipporah, there in the wilderness. He could have decided, you know what, I've, I've made a new life. I'm going to just live this life and I'll, I'll never do anything. But he made the right choice when that burning bush was, was in his eyes, eyesight. And he heard the voice of God. He could have chosen not to follow it, but instead he went back. God delivered them out of Egypt because God always makes a way of escape even when it's our fault. He uses the circumstances that we are in, not that he puts us in there, not that you can blame God for the mess you put your life in but I just want somebody to understand no matter how bad your life is right now, no matter how deep the sin you're walking in right now there is a way of escape in that that God has already planned if you'll make the right decisions. They come out of, uh, of the promised land. They're there. Moses promised that they would fall, and they do. Unfortunately, there's not many ways of escape in the Old Testament after that. The path that those children of Israel begin to take just keeps leading them deeper and deeper until finally God has enough and he releases the blessing uh, from them and he takes his hand of protection off of them and they are, are assaulted and they are carried away two different times into slavery and into bondage until finally there's just a remnant of the children of Israel left that, bring, that, that he brings back into uh, uh, Israel and, and Jerusalem. You hit the end of the Old Testament between the New Testament. It's called the 400 years of silence. From what we understand, God didn't speak in any prophetic word to them at all. God just let them sit and stew in their own lives that they were at. But in all of that, he was making a way. Because what they weren't, weren't realizing is that all throughout the word, almost every prophetic word that God gave him in that Old Testament, he was telling them, if you'll just listen, I'm making a way of escape for you. The old Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you be little, out of you is going to come a great Messiah. I, I, I just, you know, I got to talk a little bit about some angels that are going to begin to worship or, or turn their worship toward heaven. And there's a Messiah coming. And, and, and David was constantly prophesying in his Psalms that there is a way of escape in the midst of my sin. begin to open up the New Testament 
And while it may not be the first thing the New Testament says, chronologically it is the first thing that the New Testament says. There's a, a, a priest by the name of Zechariah that's beginning to work inside the temple and they don't have any children and they're old and God promises you're going to have a boy and, and, and Zechariah doesn't believe it. He kind of laughs and scoffs at God and God puts a, a muzzle on his mouth and he can't speak until the day that that son is born. But the prophecy is this. The son that you're fixing to have is going to prepare a way of escape for all of these that are living in their sin. His name was John the Baptist, and John the Baptist walks on the earth, and he begins to proclaim. If he, he didn't really have a pulpit like I did, but if he did, he'd pound the pulpit, and he'd preach, you need to repent, because what he was saying was, you've got a choice right now to accept the way of escape that God has, or you can continue to live in your sin and trespasses and die lost. Jesus walks on the face of the planet. In coming, he said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. He touches those on earth. He opens blinded eyes and he, he heals the, 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 the blind and he, he, he unlocks the deaf ears and he, he raises those that are dead to walk again. And I like all of that, but that wasn't the ultimate form of escape. They put him, they hung him on a cross. They put him in a tomb thinking it was the end. He rose again. It's the Easter story, Easter sermon all over again. But in that, there's a way of escape, but you still have a choice. I preached on Peter the other day. But Peter, he, he messed up. He sinned. He came short of the glory of God. And while I'm glad he preaches on the day of Pentecost, there were several opportunities he had to just hang it up and let it go. But instead, Peter, uh, he, he found his place so he could preach Acts 2.38. After he preached about the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, he began to preach. He said, but let me tell you that he's made a way of escape for you. Here's all you have to do. You have to repent, every one of you. You have to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's a way of escape in the midst of your sin. Now, that's the easy thing. That's the easy answer that I could I could I could give to you. That's that's the you know th that's the sermon that that I don't even have to hardly study for. I could preach Acts two thirty eight every sermon because it's so powerful. But I I want to talk to you. I want everybody in this building to disappear except you. And I want the word of God to hit you right in your heart and right in your mind. That while the big answer is you need to repent of your sins, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission, the removal of your sins, and you need to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I want to talk to you. This is not about the group. It's not about the congregation. It's about you. Because you're slogging through life up to your neck in the muck and the mire of sin and its consequences and, and you know it's your fault that you're in there and you wonder, God, am I ever going to get out? Am I ever going to make it? But God has a way of escape for you. It could be just as simple as the fact that you got up this morning and you walked into church today and you made a decision and in making that decision, see, Jonah, God prepared that fish. 
Well, there's churches all across this globe that preach the truth. And, 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 and I'm not about to tell you that Lighthouse is the only perfect church or the only church that preaches the truth. Please understand that. But I will tell you, I know Lighthouse preaches the truth. So I can't speak for anybody else. I know they're out there. I know that I, I can only speak for Lighthouse. And 55 years ago, God started a church. It had a different name back then, but it's it's the history of this church. But God started a church in a one-room clapboard white schoolhouse on Sondran Road that's not there anymore. In fact, if you go to the 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 uh, O'Fallon Historical Society, you'll find that it was the it was the old Negro school back when schools were segregated. It was that one-room schoolhouse that we rented for twenty-five dollars from a man named Joe. 55 years, God prepared a church for you to walk into on this last Sunday of October. Church has been ready. It's been waiting. It's been following you, so to speak. You've passed it every day on your your journeys, and you've wondered, what is that lighthouse, and what's it all about? Maybe you visited an event or two, but, but God has prepared it. God says, I can help you out of your problems. I've prepared a place for you. The psalmist said it this way. Psalms 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I don't know how you work that verse out in your mind. But here's how it should be worked out. As you go through life, and you go through the ups and the downs and you sin and you come short of the glory of God and you fail and you mess up and you're in it, just just realize mercy has been following you that whole time. Just waiting for you to turn around from the path that you think you want to be on and turn around and realize mercy was there every step of the way. It doesn't say that you have mercy when you sin. It it doesn't say that that you can do whatever you want to do and God's just going to close his eyes and let you go to heaven even though you murdered half the congregation and you stole all the money and all the banks and you did all of this. God ha- there, there is a justness of God. God is holy and, and he, he, he's not going to let unholiness into his presence. And so you're not going to live your life any old way and walk into heaven scot-free. I'm not telling you that. But what I am telling you is mercy was following you every step of the way. All you had to do was stop in the direction that you were going. Turn around for just one moment and let mercy catch up with you. It might be on a Sunday morning when the preacher's preaching. It might be on a Sunday night when the worship is going and you feel the presence. But you stopped long enough for God's mercy and your sin to meet. And then you ask forgiveness. You repent. It's what Jonah did on the ship. It's what Jonah did in the belly of the well. It's what Peter did between uh, uh, his, his denial of Christ and the day of Pentecost. There was a repentance. Because God always has a way of, of escape for you. He's going to get you out of it. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. The reason we have today, the reason God hasn't allowed Gabriel to stand on the eastern sky and blow the trumpet is because he was waiting for you today. He's not willing that you should perish. He's giving you every chance that you can get. He's doing what I try to teach our our parents not to do. 
you know, when you look at your child and you say, I'm going to count to three, and if you don't get over here, you're going to get in trouble. And, and, and if you're like me, you know, you're going to get a spanking, Brother Joe. And, and, and I say, one, two, two and a half, two and three quarters, two and five sixths. But I kind of feel like that's what God's doing. He knows that moment that the trumpet's going to sound in the world as we know it's going to end. He understands that there's a judgment day coming and he's going to have to separate the wheat from the chaff. He's going to have to separate the lambs from the goats, the good and the bad, the righteous from the unrighteous. He says, I just can't bear to let it end quite yet because in the midst of their sin, I was preparing a way. And I wonder if today is the moment that you finally say, God, I'm going to slow down so mercy can catch up with me. I'm going to slow down so God can move. I wonder if we could stand, if you could close your eyes all across this building. I've preached the word of God as he's given me, but now you've got to let the word of God speak to your own life. You've got to close your eyes. You've got to talk to him. You've got to make a move. The old adage says you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. It's a pretty good adage. I can preach the word. I can give you the out. I can give you the hope, but you've got to receive it. And so I'm going to give you that opportunity right now as our musicians begin to play, as they begin to sing. If you've got to go, I understand, and you're more than welcome to. But I, I wonder if there's any that just want to take a moment and say, God, I, I need that mercy. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to stop. God, I, I woke up this morning, didn't even think I'd make it to church, but here I am. And, Lord, you prepared this church. It's been waiting on me for 55 years. This word of God's been written for countless generations, but it was written just for me today, right now. And I'm meeting it. God, I'm asking that I could find that way of escape so that I could live for you with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength. And I'm going to give you praise. Would you begin to talk to him? Come on, let those tears roll down your face. I'm going to open an altar. It would probably be good for you to get out of your pew and you can take a step a little closer to the front. In, in, a, in a physical way of drawing near to God you can lift those hands and say God hear me God I need you my sin is great I, I see this mess I got myself into but I need you Jesus I will take more 